Welcome to the High Road to Leadership, a journey to the heart of success and significance. I'm your host, Beverly Lewis, and today I have a guest that you are, I promise, you're going to enjoy. I want you to meet Dexter Pitts. He's known as DP, or I'm going to call him Dex. Uh, quick introduction, Dex is a Purple Heart veteran. He's going to tell us that story. He is a Christian, a black conservative, a former border patrol agent, a current Louisville Metro police officer. And I met Dex because I I heard his podcast, which I'll be talking about later. It's called I Am Pitt's Podcast. But welcome. Welcome to the show, Dex. Appreciate you being here today. And thank you so much, Ms. Bev. I truly appreciate you for reaching out to me and having me on your show. I really do. Thank you so much. I have to tell you what, what you know, I, I was fascinated by your story. That certainly uh, is what, what reeled me in. But I also have to admit that I have just finished a certification in a diversity, equality, and inclusion course. And I was, I have been teaching that course course. I am an executive trainer, and I've been teaching that, and I I based it out of all of the fundamentals that I already teach about emotional intelligence, honoring people, respecting people. But honestly, when I took this course on, on the whole thing, I got really discouraged because it they made it so hard. And when I heard your message, I thought, Okay, back to the basics. Dex gets it. It's simple. So I wanted to title this The Color of Leadership because when I read your bio, we start with the color purple, which, you know, there's a big story behind your leadership and what happened in Iraq. So tell us a little bit about your experience in Iraq, and then we'll talk about what you learned from a leadership perspective perspective. Yeah, definitely don't mind at all. So uh, let me see how I should start. Uh, So I guess we'll start with 9-11. A lot of people, you know, everybody knows where they were on 9-11. And I remember seeing the towers come down and I was still in high school, you know, and I was, I didn't have any plan in my life at that point in time. And I just thought, I'm going to serve. I wanted to serve. My father was in the military. I grew up in the military, but it's so funny because I never wanted to join the military. Wanted nothing to do with it. It wasn't until I saw the towers fall that I realized, like, this is my calling. I'm going to go and serve my country. So I signed up into the military in August of 2003, and I become an infantryman. And I get stationed at Fort Drum, New York, with the 2nd Brigade Combat Team. I was part of Alpha Company 214th Infantry, and they made me a machine gunner. And so we go to Iraq in June of 2004, and it was on the day after New Year's. It was January 2nd, 2005. Uh, we were in Abu Ghraib, and I don't, I'm sure a lot of people remember, probably not the younger people, but at that time in Iraq, and especially in Abu Ghraib, the Abu Ghraib prison scandal, where we had U.S. troops that were abusing prisoners. And let's just say when we rolled into Abu Ghraib, we were not well received. They did not like us. And it was a very tense time. So we, uh, uh, the, uh, the night of January 2nd, 2005, we uh, pull over to the side of the road where we had been parking the last three days. And so we parked there on this third night. And I just remember having this horrible feeling. It had been haunting me all day and I was, I couldn't figure it out. I just knew something was wrong and it just felt like the world was watching everybody in my convoy, but more so me. I could just feel somebody watching me and it didn't feel right. And I remember telling my lieutenant, like, man, 
I don't think we should be here, sir. Something's off. And everybody's like, you know, calm down. We're going to be all right, man. We're going to be all right. And I remember I had been sitting in the machine gun turret and my lieutenant tells me, hey, man, you've been up there all day. You know, it's time to take a break. Come down here, sit in the driver's seat, relax, take your helmet off. And I remember getting into the driver's seat and I took my helmet off. And and after that, it's, it's kind of strange because I remember it kind of in two parts. Initially, I remember waking up on the ground and looking at the sky and I had no clue what was going on. And I just remember the pain surging through my body and I didn't know what it was and I was just confused. And as I came to, I realized I had been hurt and I hear people calling my name and I look down over my left arm and my left arm is kind of warped. And I'm like, oh, my God. And then I realized, like, this is it. I'm, I'm about to die. I don't even know what happened, but I just know I'm about to die. And then it's weird. A couple of days later, my memory starts coming back to me. And I actually remember waking up in the Humvee. And it was kind of a weird scenario where it was almost like I was out of my body. I remember looking down at myself in the Humvee, in the Humvee in the driver's seat, just looking at myself like, hey, man, get up, move, move, move. You're going to die. You need to move. And I'm, it's just like somebody snapped their fingers and I was back in my body. And I just remember waking up in the driver's seat and I remember hearing my lieutenant calling for me. And he tells me that my door, your door's wrecked. I can't get you out. And so they pull me out of the Humvee. And as they pull me out of the Humvee, the pain surges through my body and I'm laying on the ground. And I just remember looking to the sky thinking, oh, my God, this is it. This is how my life ends. Like, not like this. I'm too young. I don't want to die yet. And thank God I did not take my last breaths that night. And thank God everybody else in my in the Humvee, we all survived. I was the one hurt the worst. You know, so, uh, man, it gets a little emotional, you know, but uh, the end result of that was I had uh, sustained multiple fractures to my left arm. My left arm was completely wrecked and shattered. Uh, I took a hit, real bad hit to the forehead. And so sometimes I tell people, you know, I start, my speech gets a little weird. Sometimes I start rambling kind of fast. And I have to learn to tell myself to slow down and my thoughts get jumbled up, you know, and, uh, and the other thing was that was that I took some shrapnel to the back, but I was in Walter Reed for a total of six months. I've had and my left arm right now is a uh, my left arm is pretty much stuck in a 90 degree angle. And so <laughs> the funny wow. part is when I when I got back to uh, stateside and I got kind of got healed up. All my buddies would look at me and they would call me T-Rex Dex because of the way my left arm hangs. <laughs> Oh, man, you've got to find some humor in there somewhere, I suppose. But my goodness, I can't even honestly imagine how many lessons are packed into your military experience even before your injury and then the resilience that it took to power through all of that rehabilitation and healing. But if you had to summarize your the leadership qualities that you carry now that came from that season in your life. Tell us about that. If I could think of one leadership quality that I developed from that, I would say it is the ability to keep pushing forward despite the circumstances that are facing you. you know, and I'll say this is we are all going to have bad moments in life. You are going to have things happen in your life that are not fair but you cannot let one single moment in time define the rest of your life. You decide your trajectory. You can't let that one moment decide it. And as I was laying down there on the ground, I thought about all the things I wasn't going to be able to do anymore, you know, going through uh, therapy. And 
I remember I didn't, I couldn't use my left arm for almost a year. And, it, and I, in my mind, I was like, yo, this is, I, how am I going to do anything? I'm not going to be able to live a life and do this. And I'm over here complaining about my injury and I still have all my limbs. And I remember this guy, Walter Reed, stopped me. He was like, what are you complaining about? Dude, you're up around walking. And I was looking at him. He's sitting in his wheelchair with no legs. And he's like, man, you got it good. And that's when I realized, like, this guy is absolutely right. How dare me, with all my limbs attached, complain to this guy that ran over a stack of landmines and lost all his friends and had all his, you know, had his legs completely blown off. You know, so, you know, you have to learn to gain some perspective. And that's the biggest thing for me is just you cannot. We're all going to get dealt a hand in life that we don't like. And sometimes all you can do is play the cards that you've been dealt. But you cannot just fold and get out of the game. You have to regroup and keep going forward. And that's just for yourself. But other people are watching you. I think about my wife and kids that are watching me. I think about other veterans that are watching me, other law enforcement officers that are watching me. And I say, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to get up off the ground in that instant, but you got to pick yourself up at some point, even if it's slow. You got to get up. You just can't stay on the ground. You got to move. And the other thing I honestly I learned from it is how important leadership is. And see, people call me a leader, and I've never called myself a leader. I've never, honestly, never desired to be called a leader or lead anything. I've just, my motto is I just want to be on the game and I want to be on the team and I want to contribute to the team. But man, my leadership in Iraq, like you can learn from good leadership and bad leadership. So my lieutenant, man, a lot of guys were mad at him for that night. But I tell other people it wasn't his fault because if he would have known that was going to happen, of course he would have moved. He didn't know that. And one thing I've learned is you can't also is you can't be afraid to make decisions. Leaders have to be able to make decisions. And he made a decision that night. But like I said, that wasn't his fault because things happen in war. Things happen in life that are beyond our control. And I really, because of him, he's the reason I went to college. Because of one conversation we had in Iraq one night in a Humvee. Because I had another leader who wasn't a great leader. He was awful. He made me feel like I was less than. I was never going to accomplish anything in life. Because that's just, I don't know, that's just his leadership style. Just beat him down, beat you down, and never build you back up. And I remember we were sitting in a Humvee one night. It was just before I got hurt. And I said, man, I'm never going to be able to go to college. I'm not smart enough. And my lieutenant, like somebody stopped the record. And he looks like, why would you say that about yourself? And I was like, cuz, sir. I just, I'm always messing up and I don't, I don't get this stuff right. I don't get that right. He was like, I don't care. He was like, dude, do you realize how smart you all are? He was like, you all are going to have more life experience when we come back from over here and you go back home. And he's like, dude, you were going to run circles around people in college. And I, you know, and that one moment, that one bit right there carried me once I got out of the military and started going to school because I had one person that believed in me that had a good vision for me. And that was more than enough. And I was able to graduate from college with a 3.5 GPA. Wow. So many nuggets, so many nuggets in what you just said. And you know, when you were telling your story, another thing that jumped out at me that I think is a leadership quality too, is listening to your gut. And I bet you learned, I bet as a police officer now I bet you do that a lot, don't you? You know, I try to listen to my gut, you know, but I've also tried to listen to my just I've been policing now going on 12 years 
in my experience in Iraq, I've carried a gun for 15 years and just you just gain knowledge and experience by being in the field. I try to listen to my gut. But sometimes I also realize that I drank too much coffee that morning, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I'm like, man, because I, I, the way I operate is I tell people I'm not the smartest man in the world, but I try to thrive and get by on common sense and decency. And the way I try to treat people, people is even in uniform is I don't know who this person is. I don't know anything about them, but I might need this person later. This person might see me later. And the one thing I do not want is people to come up to me or see somebody. I know, but like, hey, you know, Officer Pitts, that's a horrible person, man. He is a horrible guy. He should not be a cop. That's the last thing I want. I want when people mention my name, I want it to have significant meaning to it and people to be proud of it. I want my family to be proud of it. I want my fellow officers to be proud of it. And I try to think of the reputation I carry. And that's why I always try to do things with other people in mind and be respectable and be a decent person. Like I said, I am a Christian, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what title you have at the front of your name, officer, doctor, you know, police officer, none of that matters. Christian, Muslim, at the end of the day, if you are not a good person and living up to the morals and values that guide your faith, <laughs> there's nothing, <laughs> I've got nothing for you. I really don't. No. We can talk and spit all the Bible verses we want, but if there is no substance to your life and you're not producing any fruit, uh, I mean, the truth comes to light at the end of the day. You are spot on with that. Well, let's let's move from Iraq. And when you came home and you went through the healing process, then you put on a green uniform. And you know, I, that's when I read your bio too. I thought, man, right? You know, customs and the the border has been a hot issue for years now. And 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 then certainly blue lives, black lives. I'm like, like man, Dex, you're in the center of all of this all of the controversy but what what took you to being a customs border guard and what did you learn from that well I, let me tell you a little something so i didn't go to the border patrol right away that was a recent endeavor when i got home i was a housekeeper at the va for two years while going to school but i joined the police department here in 2009 it was in 2018 after eight years that i left and i told god that this blessing wasn't good enough and i need more money and i went to the border patrol <laughs> And God gave me what I wanted, and I made a ton of money doing that. So, you know, when I was with the Border Patrol, the biggest thing for me that, like I said, I, I've been with the Louisville Metro Police Department now for going on 10 years. So I was never unhappy. I always loved my job. Man, my job, LMPD has been a blessing to me. I woke up every day, still do wake up every day, excited to put my uniform on and go to work. But it started to get stale because, you know, I was in a place where I was comfortable and in comfort. You don't grow in comfort, but I just had the good schedule, the good job, you know, get to ride ATVs downtown and on the waterfront. You know. And I remember I'd always wanted to become a federal agent and I took the test twice to get into the Border Patrol and I failed. And I walked away from that dream for a couple of years and President Trump got in office and made it easier for law enforcement officers and military to join the Border Patrol. And so when I that came, I told my wife, like, this is a sign from God. This is where I got to go. And I was like, hey, look at this money. I was like, I can make $100,000, baby, running around in the desert. I've done that before for a lot less money. I was like, hey, I'm going to have more time with the family. I'm going to have this. We're going to have that. We're going to do this. Oh, we're just going to have this great life. And I, 
I remember going through the Border Patrol Academy, and it was the toughest six months of my life. I'd rather go back to Army boot camp than the Border Patrol Academy. So when I actually finally graduated and got to the border, I was absolutely miserable, making the most money I have ever made in my life. And I had my I was on trajectory to be making a hundred thousand and then like a hundred thousand plus. And I, I would just come home at the end of the day miserable. And my wife would tell me, like, I don't know who you are, but you're not the guy I married. And the biggest lesson I learned from that was man, I did not leave the police department because I was unhappy. I left because I got greedy. Wow. Big lesson. Oh, I, I appreciate your authenticity big time. That is one of the leadership qualities that I know people are looking for. And I think one of the reasons that your message and your uh, your podcast has grown so fast because you just, you're so real. So gosh, what what a lesson. So then you went back and put the blue on. Uh, so what a challenge. In this day and time, I find it fascinating because we've got the Blue Lives Matter and we've got the Black Lives Matter. So what that means is Dex really matters. But so what a what a challenge of the places that you've been in with all of the uh I feel like I I know you said you're not you don't consider yourself a leader. Well, maybe it's not your title, but I would say that it's like you said, it's, it's, it's respect, it's decency. Uh, I also hear humility from you. I think you, I often call it horizontal leadership. But tell us about your experience as a black police officer, as a black wearing the blue. Man, you know, that I have done some difficult things in my life. You know, I, I wish I could say Iraq was the most difficult, but it's, it's not been. The last year in police work has been the most challenging, and not just for me, but because I, not just because I serve, but my family pretty much serves with me when I go out into the streets. Yeah, and it, it has been so volatile because we now have protesters coming to police officers' houses looking to dox police officers, and they continually tell me that you know I'm a sellout. I'm you know the white man's puppet, Uncle Tom, race trader continually and they constantly tell me of all the things you could have done you became a cop and what drives me crazy the most bev has been the caucasian people on the far left side that criticize me and demean me and tell me that i'm a race trader that i've sold out my people and i'm looking at them like but you don't understand that if i'm not here in this uniform taking care of the people in the community in the west end that's majority black it's going to be somebody else out there doing it that doesn't care about them as much as I do. Like I don't do this job to hurt people. I never have. I do this to inspire to to help people, to help you know young kids that need help and be a role model, man. Like, and they want to get rid of people that really care with this whole defund the police movement, and that drives me crazy. I'm like, do you now not realize who has been holding the black community together for? For centuries now, well, not centuries, excuse me, but for decades now, it has been the police officers. And yes, we do have police officers that put on the uniform that don't deserve to wear that badge. But we cannot demonize an entire group of officers because of the misdeeds of a few. And as a black man in uniform, 
Like I tell people I am black, but me, my identity is not wrapped up in my skin color. One, my identity is comes from Christ and the values and the morals that he exhibited in the Bible. That's what I try to do every day, every day. And I tell people I am a fallen man. I, the Lord is still working on me. He's got a lot of work to do and he's going to have to put in some overtime because I realize my flaws and I want to get better and I want to be better. I don't always do the right, no, do, do the right thing. I don't always say the right thing, but I don't do the wrong thing because I come from a bad heart. I make bad decisions because I'm a person and sometimes the way I think I'm doing things is not constantly, it does not work out the way I think it is. And I don't do anything to hurt somebody from an evil heart. I do things to help people. And sometimes I think I overstep my bounds and try to do too much, you know. And you, there's a balance to be had. And sometimes I overstep my bounds. And, you know, I got to learn to hold myself back and find that balance. And I don't know. How, that's one of the things I'm trying to learn how to do right now. Is learn you know, when to be present, when to be quiet, you know. Well, your voice matters, and I, I feel like I heard you say something on one of your broadcasts that uh, was to this to this effect that, and I and I'll say as a white person, last year, at, you know, when George Floyd was killed, and all of the uh, racial tension erupted again in our country, and I thought I had thought we were making progress, and all of a sudden, it seemed like we had gone backward big time. And I, I felt like I heard you address that, that it, and after reading, I read that book called White Fragility, and and then I didn't, you know, I, here I was in a position of leadership teaching and, and training people and companies, and yet I felt like I was walking on a minefield. Um, and I thought, how do how do I how do we go forward from here? That's always my my question is don't just give me a book like White Fragility that tells me that I'm a racist, but you know I can uh, give me some solutions. Help me fix it. Help me know how we move forward. So that's that is a loaded question, and I don't know if any of us have the answers, Dex. But I feel like you're part of the solution, and. Um, so, do you have any comments about where we are with this whole race thing in America and how we can move forward? You know, I'll you know, for, like I said, I'm, I'm working on my book, and I'm hoping to have that out here in the next, what by the end of the year. And that was one of the things my editor told me: like you identify a lot of problems, but you don't really necessarily have solutions. And I don't necessarily think in there, we have to realize as a society. You know, we're broken down into all these groups now, the conservatives, liberals, far right, far left. You know, and it's just at the end of the day, we're all people and we have to live here together. You know, we all have to have, you know, a belief in this system and equity in this thing. And so I came up with this acronym and it says we the, the future. We have to look to the future in order to move past all this. And what future stands for the F is we have to learn to forgive and that is one of the hardest things to do in this Christian walk, especially when somebody has offended you. And I tell people, especially my fellow black people that, hey, yes, we have been we've had have had a hard road in America. Nobody can deny that with slavery and everything else. But we're not the only ones in this world that have gone through tough times as a people. Jewish people have been persecuted since their inception. But at a certain point, we have to stop digging up the past and holding white people today accountable for the sins of their forefathers. 
because it's not fair. Nobody today has owned slaves. Black people today are better off in this country than any other world in the world. So we have to learn to forgive in order to move forward. Next, we have to, the you, understand. We have to understand each other's pain. We have to. We have to understand that, hey, why does this black person not like the Confederate flag or Confederate statue? We have to understand that. We also have to understand why some white people might like the Confederate flag or Confederate statue because it's somebody from their family or heritage. Like I say, we don't have to agree, but we have to understand, understand each other's hurts, understand each other's pain, understand each other's visions that we want for our lives. The T I go for is treatment of, of other people. We have to learn to be decent to each other. And the problem is right now, we are using our freedoms, our freedom of speech and our freedom of, to protest to hurt other people. And when we do that, we're not advancing our cause. Just like BLM and Antifa, they're not advancing their cause. All they're doing is creating more people that don't like them. And that is just creating more division within this country. And the biggest one, I think, is the you in future, the next you. We have to unplug, Bev. We have to unplug from social media and the news because this is what I was thinking the other day. I was like, where do we go to find truth in this day and age? Because everything is slanted. Everything. Fox News, CNN, no matter what news source you go to, everybody has to slant it because everybody's trying to sell a product. Everybody's trying to cause panic and chaos. There is no money to be made in unity, but there's plenty of money to be made in division and chaos. And we have to get off social media because people don't argue or think critically for themselves. They share memes now. And a meme, you could put anything in a meme and it can be interpreted as anything, but nobody's doing the research to really see what they believe in. And the R, respect. We have lost in this country respect for one another, for our fellow Americans. And I can tell I am a Christian. But I have friends that are LGBTQ. I have friends that are transgender. And I tell my buddy, my fellow Christians, like, that are staunch Christians, I'm like, dude, we have to understand. We are Christians, but not everybody in this country is a Christian. Not every, and you don't have to be. I want you to be. I want you to come to learn Christ. I want you to love Christ. I want you to know him for yourself. But I cannot force that upon anybody. We have to respect people's personal choices in this country. We have to. And we have to let people live their lives how they choose. Now, unless it's the way somebody's living is hurting somebody, we should step in. If it's not hurting anybody, let them go. Let them do their thing. And we have to be okay with that. And the last one, E, we have to educate. We are, right now, I don't know where America falls on the education scale in the world, but I know we're not at the top of the chain. We have so much going on in this country we are not an educated society like society like we used to. You know, the colleges that we have now, these are just mass production places pushing agendas and telling people what to think as opposed to how to think. We have to educate people on the Constitution, the law, and especially for the black community, we have to educate people in the black community on how to on the law specifically, but also how to interact with law enforcement. Because if we go back to the you, the unplugged, the media, social media is fueling this frenzy. And I can stop a black person in the middle of the street right now. They're going to be absolutely terrified. They actually believe that they're going to possibly be killed when they get pulled over by a police officer because the media is fueling this. And it's not true. You can look at the numbers. The numbers tell the story. Numbers don't lie. 
The chance of a black person being killed by a cop is very, very low. But the chance of a black person being killed by somebody in their community, it's extremely, extremely high. And so we have to learn to educate because if I pull over a car and I walk up to this car and the guy's just not, you know, just you know, license plates, not, you know, license plates not illuminated. His tags are expired. It's not a felony. It's OK. It might be a ticket, it might be a warning. But the moment I come up to that car and that guy's all the way up here on 100 and his tension's all the way up. What's that going to do? That's going to raise my tension level. And then once mine gets raised, his is going to go up. Then mine's going to go up. And the next thing you know, there's no communication. Pride and ego get involved. And next thing you know, I'm like, somebody's going to be like, hey, get out the car. I'm not getting out the car. I'm terrified. Now, does that person have a right to be terrified? In their mind, yes, because what the media is telling them that I'm about to get killed by this cop. And that's not true. So we have to educate the black community on how to interact with police officers, but not just the black community. Every right. citizen in America needs to learn right. that just because you're white, you don't get a pass on how you interact with a cop. Because I, I was trained in the academy. I don't care about the color of your skin. It is the content of your character that I'm looking for and how you interact with me. It's how you move. Don't reach for anything. You will get shot just as quick being white. It don't matter. You do not get a pass because guess what? We are police officers. We are humans and we have families we want to go home to. So I want to work with the community to educate the community to move past all this stuff, to get a mutual understanding, as I said earlier. I tell you what, you said, I think that that high note, that I don't care about the color of your skin. I care about the content of your character. That nails it. Boy, that is that is that just is the perfect place to to. I, I feel like I really just want to put a bookmark in his and pick and pick it back up at, for another conversation because Dex, I really appreciate your uh, your again your authenticity, your honesty, uh, that you're. Uh, you're passionate about bringing unity and truth to to America, uh, starting with your own family and your own community. So I do want to just encourage people once again to plug into your podcast, I Am Pitt's podcast, which is currently found on Podbean. I'll put uh, put the link to that in the show notes and so people can make their way. I honestly, once I got started listening to your podcast, I listened to episode after episode after episode. I just um, found it so enlightening and so encouraging. So many great stories. My goodness, I could talk to you all day. Uh, but is there anything else be, as we wrap it up? And I know you said you've got a book coming that people need to watch for this year. Um, that's that's exciting. Uh, but anything else you want to uh, say as we wrap this up today? It's mentioning the whole uh, judging a person by the content of their character and not their skin color. It's just It just kills me how we're going away from that as a society. I, and we are literally going backwards, moving into segregation where we're going, trying to have black only dorms and, you know, everything is color based. And I'm just like, this is not the Martin Luther King's dream. We were at his dream. Why are we throwing it away? Why are we throwing it away? That's what I don't understand. And I tell people at the end of the day, the only thing that matters, just be a decent person. That's all that be a decent person. You see somebody that needs help, help them be a better person. Do little things just like I teach my kids when we go to the store, 
if you get a shopping cart, don't just leave the shopping cart in the middle of the eye, you know, in the middle of the parking lot. Somebody has to come by here and get this, man. Think, put other people first. Think about others besides yourself. And if we start doing that, I believe we'll get back on track as a society. It's not about you. It's about us as a collective. Awesome. And the high road to leadership, that's what we're on. It's uh, The traveling's not always easy. The climb can be hard. But we've got the, the goal in mind. And Dex, thank you for being with us today. Look forward to, uh, to staying in touch. And we'll build a better future because the best is yet to come. Thanks for being here today.